Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It does show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. It's very rare to hear the chief economist of the Bank of England being so frank about Brexit. I think that what's more problematic for policy in the UK is following these basics uh, so that people make decisions on the basis of uh, the full picture. Stephen, I would like to have a small rant. Oh, just a small one. That's a relief. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. Ewan, it's one of those days where if you had a giant comedy checkbook, you'd going to want to take it out. Uh, and that's because the government is starting to hand out uh, a wad more cash from the levelling up fund. Yeah, £2 billion on a load of projects, about 100 projects um, around the country, including uh, a new Eden project in Lancashire and a new rail link in Cornwall. Uh, much needed if you've ever been to that part of the world. You yeah. just love trains. That's the real thing. I do like trains and they're pretty ropey in Cornwall. It has, it has to be said. Interesting story in the Times today saying that, uh, that the projects uh, are, f- are favouring the southeast over uh, the Red Wall. I did think, though, I haven't, I haven't actually read to the end of the, this story, but I, I, I did think that, you know, lots of parts of the southeast are actually quite poor. And it's a bit of a myth to suggest that everywhere in the north is poor and everywhere in, in the south is rich. That's that's silly. There are loads of parts of Kent, for instance, which, you know, are really, you know, they are very poor. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see this story today after we had a, a different story in the Times newspaper yesterday saying that um, levelling up is, uh, as an expression is so 2019 and that uh, Tory MPs are being uh, told to talk about gauging up or stepping up instead. Yeah, it's quite something, isn't it? Because I think levelling up is also one of those phrases which is only used by politicians. I don't think any real person down the pub says I want my community to be uh, levelled up. Maybe but they do now. That, maybe this Maybe this is the power that well, people have led with. Well maybe but then you, these phrases they're suggesting now I mean if you thought levelling up was bad gauging up. Gauging up doesn't, doesn't trips off the tongue does it? Enhancing communities. That's also pretty weak. Right, well, our, <laughs> our community is much enhanced by, by our, that conversation. Uh, let's turn, though, to matters elsewhere. The Northern Ireland Secretary, Chris Heaton-Harris, says that he won't call an election immediately in Northern Ireland when a deadline to form a devolved government expires tonight. He's been writing in the Irish Times newspaper saying that he will assess carefully all options about what happens next. Well, a law passed last year means that an election must be held in the next 12 weeks unless the parties can agree to form a power-sharing executive. Well, let's speak now to Stephen Farry. He's deputy leader of Northern Ireland's Alliance Party and MP for North Down. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us on the programme today. Good morning. Is this the right decision by by Chris Heaton-Harris? Yes, I mean, there's, there's, there's very little point in having an election at this point in time. We had our regular assembly election in May of last year, and that assembly hasn't yet had the opportunity uh, to, to sit. 
clearly we're going through a, a whole series of overlapping, overlapping crises without the, 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 the Assembly currently sitting. There's a major financial problem in Northern Ireland and of course the, the complications around the Northern Ireland Protocol and the ongoing discussions between the UK and the EU. But holding an election in that atmosphere is probably not going to achieve terribly much. The parties will come back with roughly similar uh, mandates but you could end up in a much more polarised um, political narrative which may make the achievement of, of, of a deal on the protocol in particular and some other outcomes that bit more difficult to achieve. Has anything changed though since the last time this deadline was pushed back in November? Well, in, in some senses, in terms of getting the parties back around uh, the table and, uh, and getting in the government, probably fairly little. But we have perhaps seen a, a certain stepping up in terms of the protocol uh, discussions uh, prior to Christmas that there was uh, clearly some suggestions that the music had changed in that the open hostility had stopped and there was uh, some engagement between the UK and the EU, but we hadn't really seen any substantive uh, progress. Uh, since the Christmas break, uh, we have seen uh, an agreement on, on data sharing, um, which can provide a, an important platform for other solutions in terms of giving trust and confidence in systems. Uh, and so that may allow the European Union to uh, to, to accept uh, things like a red and green channel for movements, trusted trader type uh, systems, uh, and uh, have a less rigorous approach in terms of, of the, the number and level of checks. So that is a very strong in, in the indication. Um, and we probably Perhaps with less clarity this week, whenever um, Mara Sethwich and James Cleverly, the, the UK Foreign Secretary, um, met, but the negotiations are ongoing and we, we are very hopeful. Where I think um, we may have difficulties is that uh, while I, sus- I suspect we will see a deal, uh, and that's to be encouraged, there may be difficulties in terms of the UK Conservative Party, t- in terms of the ERG, and some very unrealistic demands around the Europe- European Court of Justice, and also the DUP seven tests um, are are very uh, onerous and it's difficult to see how a, a pragmatic deal, which is the, the most likely outcome, is going to meet those tests. So that party's going to, have, going to have to make a major call in terms of accepting an outcome and returning to, to government or uh, staying out and, and uh, seeing a situation where Northern Ireland doesn't work. And uh, that leads to all sorts of wider questions around the future. Certainly the data sharing has been a, a, a big advance. Do you, do, do you think a deal is, is likely in the next few weeks? What's, what do you think the, the timeline is for this? Um, I'm not entirely sure in terms of timeline. We are hope, hopeful that we could see something inside the next um, few weeks. Now, there is the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement coming up in, in April uh, of this year. And uh, while there's, there's no legal significance to that deadline, uh, symbolically, that is focusing minds uh, to, to a certain extent. I would say in terms of the people of Northern Ireland, I mean, the deadline was last last May when we had an election and uh, we want to see a government up and running. So the, the longer this goes on um, and the longer the DEP stay out, the more difficult it is in terms of our own public services and addressing the cost of living, reforming the health service, dealing with the health crisis. All those issues are... are uh, we're struggling to, to deal with those given the current situation. So certainly from our perspective, time is, is off the essence. Uh, but yes, I think we're hopeful that we will see a deal in the next uh, few weeks. The issue that then is, of course, both certain parties accept it or cause trouble with it. Well, well, exactly. That's that's what I want to ask you is, do you think that a deal on the protocol will be enough to get the DUP back into power sharing or is this really about something else? Well, the DUP have perhaps... Uh, uh, a range of different narratives that they've been putting out. Um, and if you take literally their seven tests, it's going to be difficult. But 
if you're sitting as a unionist, you have to ask yourself this, this question. Um, do you take a, this purest view of what the union actually means and uh, avoid all sorts of pragmatic solutions? Do you deny the reality that Northern Ireland needs a special deal to manage um, Brexit? Do you deny the reality of Northern Ireland's geography or complicated interconnected relationships um, within Ireland and across the UK? Um, or I mean, do you accept that the best way to defend the union is to make Northern Ireland work? And for, for me, that means having a working assembly. It means a deal on the protocol. It means uh, during Northern Ireland is a, is a equal and inclusive uh, society. And in all of those, the DEP uh, are taking the opposite stances. And uh, what they're doing is something that's very uh, destructive to their own own position. Because if the assembly doesn't work, we'll, we'll, we'll end up with, with the record in London. Uh, for a unit that may sound uh, attractive enough, but that will, of course, have to have an Irish dimension, and that then is where the complications begin. And indeed, uh, for those who are campaigning for United Ireland, in the context where they can point to Northern Ireland not working, their own campaign for constitutional change will, will gather increased momentum. So unionism at the moment is facing a major uh, junction in the road here uh, where they have to make a decision, do they pursue this uh, so the purest approach in terms of the union, even though it means losing support, or do they realise that the best way of securing the union is through, through actual building consent uh, across the political spectrum uh, for a shared uh, and interdependent society? So that's a big test they have. Now, if there is an election, are you, are you worried that you'll lose seats if, if voters are polarised? The Alliance Party, the cross-party alliance, your party, uh, had a good election at the last election. Is there a chance that you'll get squeezed if, if there is a polarisation in Northern Ireland? Well, so far we're holding up in the, in the opinion polls, um, uh, but of course every election uh, brings its own degree of, of, of uncertainty. Um, we have built steadily over over recent years, and we had our extremely good uh, election uh, last last year. Um, most of the expectation is that the SDLP and all students will be the parties that are squeezed the most in terms of uh, both of their sort of communal rivals in terms of DEP and Sinn Féin may consolidate at their expense. Uh, Alliance has, has perhaps carved out a different position in the political spectrum where, where, where uh, we represent people who want to see a different type of Northern Ireland, uh, moving away from the traditional tribal labels and uh, building a, a shared integrated society and people who define themselves in, in different, open, mixed, multiple ways. So we have, a, we have a strong and growing consistency in that regard. Now you met Keir Starmer when he was in Belfast last week. How does his position differ or or resemble the government's position on these issues? Well, obviously, um, Labour are much more pragmatic uh, on on this issue. He he made the important point that in the event that there was trouble getting a deal through Parliament, and it's not clear that a deal will, will itself need to go through Parliament in any event, but if there are difficulties, that he will uh, uh, give it uh, wider support. There's also things around things like a, a veterinary agreement that uh, I've been pushing and indeed Labour are, are, are now championing too, which, uh, which is a wider deal between the UK and EU, which itself would be good for you, for the UK exporters, but will also uh, ease the scale of the cliff edge across the Irish Sea. Um, so those type of things would also help in terms of, of, of bedding down something that actually works in the, in, the, in the longer term. Of course, I mean, there, there are wider issues in terms of Labour's approach um, to, to Brexit and what's good for the UK and I think ultimately um, we do need to see a situation where the UK does reconsider Brexit overall and in the short to medium term we consider going back into the single market and customs union uh, because the current arrangements aren't working for the UK as a whole, whole never mind Northern Ireland. 
I mentioned levelling up funding earlier on. Northern Ireland is getting uh, uh, 10 projects from the government. Do you think that uh, you're getting your, your fair share of, of government cash? Uh, well, at, at this stage, I'm still trying to crunch the overall numbers uh, within the, the funding for Northern Ireland. Yet there's a, a large um, chunk going to my own consistency for, for Bangor Waterfront, so that's uh, good, good to see. But uh, at first glance, it looks like Northern Ireland is getting its population share. But if you're t- talking about this being levelling up, uh, we should be getting more than that because um, Northern Ireland uh, is one of the, the poorest performing uh, parts of the UK in social and economic terms. So if, if this was generally about trying to level up, uh, um, areas such as ours and also mm. the northeast of England, other parts of the north of England, Wales, etc., uh, would be getting a disproportionate amount of the funds, and that doesn't seem to be the case. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, Rishi Sunak may not be taking part in Davos diplomacy, but Grant Shapps 
is there. And he's been making some comments about uh, President Biden's Inflation uh, Reduction Act. It's a controversial plan by uh, the US, which is coming for a lot of criticism in Europe. Well, let's speak now to uh, Brussels Bureau Chief Kevin Whitelaw. Now, Kevin, just um, uh, explain to listeners in the UK what the US Inflation Reduction Act is, because this has uh, got a lot of publicity, hasn't it, in Europe, but not so much in the UK. Yeah, no, it's been a very big theme in, in Brussels and a number of other European capitals. The, this is a massive climate package that, that the uh, United States passed last year, um, and it really is aimed at funding the, the clean tech transition, which is something that uh, Europe in particular has been banging on the U.S. to, to, to get in gear and really put some, some money behind it. And it's, a, you know, it's more than $300 billion. It's a very big package, a lot of money that's, that's going to be available. But it comes in many cases with a lot of restrictions about um, money that's in Intended to be spent uh, in the U.S. for jobs to be created in the United States, and so there's um, um, been a lot of accusations on the part of Europe and others that it's a protectionist bill and risks a, a subsidy war. So um, there, there is a bit of an irony that that after after all years of pressuring the U.S. to do something on 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 climate and and, and green um, energy, when it does now now they're suddenly like, well, that's not exactly what we meant. <laughs> Kevin, you and your colleagues in Brussels have been been hearing about this from leaders across the continent for for quite some time. Um, Why is it so controversial, um, given that the European Union and individual European countries also subsidise certain parts of these sectors? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the the EU's case has been that that you know the most of the money that's available for for various projects in in the EU is open to to anybody, and so there there is um, uh, the notion that they really want to try to you know work under global trade rules, um, free trade rules, and and make sure that um, you know this is this is sort of accessible to everyone. What what has Europe sort of nervous about this is that is the risk of 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 investments being lured away from Europe to the United States because of all of this money. I mean. In effect, the U.S. went big and bold uh, and kind of leapfrogged Europe a little bit with with making some of this um, available and did it in a way that that does risk pulling some money out of um, potential money out of out of Europe. And so, you know, I think the EU in particular is feeling a lot of pressure now as it tries to say, well, we really need to find ways to respond and is finding that they're really quite split on on how to go about doing that um, and 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 where that money would would end up being spent, uh, get, you know, would end up getting spent. Um, but and it does sort of feel like uh, the UK is just now starting to catch up to to sort of the, the potential risks to, to its own industry. Um, uh, and in, in potential future investments from 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 the way the U.S. law is structured. Yeah, it does seem the U.K. is quite quite late to this particular party. Do you think Brussels criticism by Brussels uh, is fair? As, as you say, the EU has been pressuring the U.S. to do more on climate change for a long time. Uh, do you do you think the Biden administration uh, is attempting to be protectionist, or are they actually just trying to catch up on, on the issue of climate change? Well, I think from the U.S. side, this is very much just about politics. This is the way the bill was able to get through the Congress and and the U.S. government um, was going to spend money, you know, wanted U.S. government money going to to help create jobs in the United States as opposed to create jobs in Europe. So I I think there was a a reality of domestic politics on the U.S. side that 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 you know, was was probably inevitable. I think Europe was maybe caught a little bit off guard and torn between, you know, being wanting to congratulate the United States for finally doing this and, and putting some real money behind it, something that will indeed benefit, you know, the world in theory, um, but at the same time um, being quite worried about about some of the dynamics. And as you say, I mean, there are a lot of 
programs in Europe that are geared a little bit more towards European business. Um, but uh, what Europe would say was they feel that their programs don't tend to violate, you know, World Trade Organization rules and this and some of the things in the U.S. side do. Now there are ongoing negotiations between Brussels and Washington over how to do this um, and see if there are ways to, in the implementation of a law, uh, uh, allow European firms to to take um, a, a bit more part of it and benefit a bit more and be able to participate. Um, there's been a little bit of progress when it comes to electric vehicles um, and some of the incentive programs there, uh, but there's a number of other areas that are going to be a lot harder to, to to sort of square. And so I do think you're you're seeing uh, Brussels really try to come up with um, a couple of different ways. If they're they're trying to work on a couple short term and a couple medium and longer term sort of funding and and other efforts to see if they can find ways to to help accelerate this and get money uh, to compete with the incentives that are being offered uh, out of the U.S. now. Does the UK joining this this chorus of, of criticism help or is there something that the UK perhaps has an angle diplomatically that might be able to join in these discussions? I mean, I think the 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 what the only thing that surprised me about well, the thing that surprised me about the UK was it was a little late in coming and, and suddenly a very strong, very strong rhetoric coming out of, of the speech in Davos using words like dangerous. Um, you know, I think you actually have watched the Europeans moderate their rhetoric um, over the past week or two. They came out with a lot of very angry, emotional attacks right at the beginning um, when the bill, when the law was passed, but but have now started to, to take a somewhat more nuanced position as they work through, you know, trying not to start a trade war, trying not to start a subsidy race, but basically saying, in the end, it's going to be good for both, you know, both Europe and the U.S. if both sides are spending a ton of money to try to accelerate this energy transition, which is becoming increasingly urgent um, as as we've watched, uh, you know, the the winter play out in, in in Europe right now, and and concerns at various points about you know heating and electricity grids and everything else. So, mm-hmm. I think the needs, the imperatives to stay aligned on this. Are really important, but um, you know we'll have to see. I think how how this one goes down in 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 the U, in the in Washington. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if if the next bit of rhetoric you hear um, out from London is a little more nuanced. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. That's uh, Kevin Whitelaw, our Brussels Bureau, Bureau Chief. Well, let's come back to the UK now and talk about the latest on the housing market. Home prices and buyer demand continue to fall at the end of 2022 in the UK. That's according to the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. They're reading worse than forecast by economists. Earlier, we spoke to Tarrant Parsons, senior economist at the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. Yeah, I think it's become um, increasingly clear uh, over recent weeks that, that higher interest rates have really uh, led to a significant setback in terms of mortgage affordability. And as a result, we have fewer people able to take out a mortgage or even wanting to take out a mortgage given the higher costs and, and demand has fallen back quite considerably of late. We're seeing fewer housing sales uh, being agreed on, on the back of this. And I think overall, um, housing market activity is subdued. And it looks set to remain that way, certainly over the next few months. Um, and as you say, house prices have begun to retreat. And, and that downward trend, uh, perhaps it began to emerge a couple of months ago, that is still intensifying at this stage. How long it will continue for uh, remains highly uncertain. But because of the changes in the lending environment, um, some further adjustment from here uh, seems inevitable. One area of, of relative strength, at least, more energy efficient houses holding their value. What what is def, what defines what is the definition of an energy efficient house, and and are people really looking at that when they're making their consideration around purchases? 
Yeah, so we're just talking about the standard scale here, you know, A, B, C, uh, those at the mm. top end of that scale. I think the feedback around that was you know, somewhat mixed, but generally speaking, plenty of our members are reporting greater interest in homes with higher energy efficiency ratings. Uh, these seem to be holding their value slightly better in the current market. And although energy ratings are still you know, some way off being you know, the number one overriding criteria when it comes to, to choosing a property to purchase, it certainly appears to be becoming more important. And I'm sure the recent increase in energy bills is uh, part of the trend, the driver of that trend. Um, so overall, having a more energy efficient home does seem to be offering some advantages to sellers uh, amid this current kind of backdrop. Mm. How big a peak to trough price decline do you think we're going to end up with for UK property then? I think that's incredible incredibly difficult to, to gauge right now sure. you know, you know, a wide range of forecasts from a relatively small kind of four or five percent drop to, to something closer to, to 20 percent i think the average of projections is around a 10 percent fall for this year and uh, given the extent of the the recent drop of activity that would seem a kind of a reasonable uh, kind of base case uh, for me obviously any uh, future monetary policy changes from the bank of england are, are going to have an influence on how far uh, the eventual um, fall uh, goes. Okay, what should the government be doing at this point? I mean, the housing market, if there's a 10% decline, that's a wider economic issue. It's one for financial stability. Uh, The government is wants to interfere in the housing market very frequently. What would you sort of not want government to do? And what would you want them to do? The budget's coming up in March. I think in many ways, the... Uh, what's going on in the housing market it is a symptom of kind of many factors that are weighing on, on the uh, the economy in this current uh, situation. I'm not sure uh, they would want to kind of interrupt kind of you know, the, the market cycle beyond just trying to encourage economic growth. Your interest rates is a huge part of what we see here, but the, the reason they're going up isn't to, to bring down the housing market. It's uh, it's just to, to rein in inflation. So that is the number one objective, to get that under control. Uh, mm. And I think we have seen some slightly more encouraging news in terms of uh, the, the energy element of that. Gas future prices have come back. So, you know, if uh, we're in for a, a period of inflation, perhaps undershooting forecasts, uh, and let's be clear, inflation is expected to remain well above the Bank of England's 2% target for the duration of this year. But if we were to see it come back a little or call a little uh, more quickly than, than anticipated, then potentially the, the interest in rate environment uh, may be slightly more accommodating, perhaps going into next year. Well, that was Tarrant Parsons, Senior Economist at the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, uh, speaking to Caroline Hepka and Tom McKenzie, that gloomy view uh, from estate agents and surveyors. If you like this programme, don't forget to subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you usually listen and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or elsewhere. Uh, this episode was produced by James Walcock and Marifal Hussain was on sound. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.